are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified coach, and I specialize in career management, skill development, positive intelligence, and career crises. Well, we have a terrific guest today. Debbie McCullough is from New Zealand and now lives in Wisconsin. She's an internationally certified coach under the name Hanging Rock Coaching. She offers a hybrid of communications coaching, positive intelligence coaching, and customized training to help replace her client's fears with courage and joy. Debbie is a prime example of someone who knows the power of the number one critical skill, that of communications. She has interviewed countless executives for global business media, and has taught communications in college, colleges for a combined 30 years. She knows even the brightest and most respected leaders can sometimes struggle while expressing their thoughts through speaking and writing to audiences they fear. Debbie saw this firsthand when she was reporting on business and social trends for global media like The Economist, The Guardian, and The Financial Times, and when she taught executive communications to MBA students. She gained her coaching skills from the University of Wisconsin in Madison's professional coaching program, from the highly regarded Positive Intelligence Certification Program, and the International Coaching Federation. Debbie is very well known for her compelling narrative, clear language, effective frameworks, and bottom-lined and accessible ideas. And as one of the very, very first coaches certified in Positive Intelligence, she is someone who can shed light on this important concept. Well, so welcome, Debbie, to It's All About Skills. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's a real pleasure being here with you today. Well, it's delightful to be with you. Um, let's, to start off with, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and what sp uh, sparked your passion in the communication skill. Well, it was such a great question you posed to me, and I've thought about it over the weekend. I would say it really started off as a little girl in the back blocks of South Canterbury, New Zealand, and just having a bit of a simple upbringing, at least for the first five years of my life, where there weren't a lot of distractions. We had no tech. It was 1970 to 1975, and a few toys as well, and I, if I wasn't roaming the the meadows and the paddocks with my older sister, I was at home inside drawing and writing with pen and paper. That was how I entertained myself. Then we traveled a lot when my mother remarried. We traveled through Asia, Pakistan, Brunei. And I was just exposed to these really majestic, beautiful parts of the world where few Westerners were roaming. And I think my first understanding that I would be a reporter, a journalist, 
was traveling across the Karakoram Highway in Pakistan with my mum, a Jeep, a driver, my sisters, and just I didn't have a camera. I was too young to hold a camera. I was 10. But I remember taking pictures with my eyes like this, just thinking, oh, my goodness, this is breathtakingly beautiful, stark, gorgeous nature. And on that same trip, we went up to the to the border of Afghanistan. And in 1980, the Soviets had invaded Afghanistan at that time. And I traveled up to the top of the hill with my mum and some with some binoculars in hand. And we watched from this hillside underneath these trees, Soviet helicopters overhead. And we followed refugees walking up to the border oh. and buying things. So I had this rich, very colorful childhood and it put me into an inevitable path of being a reporter. And I did that, uh, certified at UC Berkeley with my master's degree in journalism, not expecting to get in there, but I did and worked as a reporter. I fell in love with storytelling through being a reporter. Wow. And how did those uh, experiences uh, of the worldwide travel and uh, your experiences as a reporter uh, lead you to the conclusion ultimately that you should uh, get into coaching? Well, it was an interesting segue. I think there's been a couple of twists and turns along the way. Journalism has never been the robust profession I hoped for. So I'd always done other things alongside my journalism. So while I was writing for The Economist and The Financial Times, and then later The Guardian and Engineering News Record, I always taught. So I taught, used my master's degree to be a professor. And for 19 years, I taught a mixture of journalism and writing students. But then in the last five years, I taught executive communications to MBA students. But within all of that teaching, I noticed there was only so far I could go with sharing my knowledge of frameworks, brevity, clarity, uh, the impact that style choice has on our tone and how our audience receives our message. I noticed that no matter how much I shared my knowledge and then my skills through editing my students' work and, and showing them a different way to communicate, both orally and in writing, something else, they needed something else. And I fell into this role because I was an accessible professor and didn't hector and I wasn't arrogant and I spoke to my audience versus down to my audience. I became a coach to them, but I had no real skills to coach. It was just what I'd learned over the years of, of being a good citizen, perhaps, or being the friend that everyone came to when they wanted someone to listen. And as I neared, I'm 50 now, but as I neared my 49th birthday, I had this restlessness of wanting change. I realized I had gone as far as I could within academia, unless I got a PhD, which I would have been open to if I thought there were a job for me, perhaps. But I also had this intuition that something else was out there for me. So I went to coaching school, left academia behind completely, self-retired from that profession, and went to full-time coaching school through the University of Medicine. And that opened this huge world to me where I could learn through, you know, employ these new tools that, you know, as a coach, Charlie, bring to us, you know, active listening, holding the space asking open-ended powerful questions to um, encourage discovery but then bringing in my training as a professor and then my experience as a reporter to create this wonderful hybrid sort of unpack what's getting in the way of the communicators challenges in the first place and then we'll get to the mental fitness part in the moment but help them get to the root of what the fear is 
that's getting in their way and then bringing in all this other rich stuff as well. So coaching, I've landed within coaching, but I think looking back, even all those 19 years I was a professor, I was already a pseudo coach. Wow. Well, you seem to have found, uh, you're one of these rare people who seems to have found something that you really love to do and that you have a great background and you're good at. Well, thank you. I do love it. And I think if I had to bottom line what I love the most, it's actually something that's on my counter. I don't know if you can see this, but as my passion project for graduating from the University of Madison's coaching school, I created art cards with my own art, highlighting the ICF core competencies. And okay. the one that speaks to me the most is competency number five, maintaining presence by staying comfortable working in a space of not knowing. Well, what I'm seeing, I'm seeing a woman holding up a placard. What does the, what are the words on the placard? Say? Yeah, it says um, ICF competency number five maintains presence. That's ICF competency number five. And the one that spoke to me the most and what I get the most out of coaching is staying comfortable working in a space of not knowing. Ah. So when you're most effective as a coach, or when I am most effective as a coach, it's when I overcome that anxiety that comes when you don't know what to do <laughs> with a client, yeah. but just stay present with them. Just yeah. stay present and, and let go of this desire to fix or solve the problems. That's not your job as a coach. That's, That's a key point, Debbie, that you, as a coach, you don't problem solve. The, the client has the capacity to solve their problem. Yes, sir. Brought out of it. Yes, sir. And that to me, and once, and the more I can master that competency of not feeling like I'm there to fix the problem or solve the problem, I am there to allow the discovery yes. of the client to know what to do. Oh, and, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, one of the things that you mentioned, uh, or that's in your on your website is you say that about three quarters of Americans fear public speaking over the uh, over even death or even a shark attack. You know, now that, that's really scary. So, what have you learned about the origin of these fears? You know, what uh, where do these fears come from? Why are they scared? Yeah, it's a really troubling data point, isn't it? And it's one that I refuse to accept and sort of hang my hat on not accepting. From what I've read, and that data come from, comes from the National Institute of Health, and it's not, I think it's quite old. I think it's four, four to five year old data, but I suspect because I've worked with clients from all over and my students were from all over the world and across multiple professions too. Some are military, some were in finance, some were in the media, whatever. That what I understand that the root of that discomfort with public speaking is fear of judgment and fear of losing their job. But what I know to be true also in myself, because I've also had public speaking fear that completely messed with me and almost derailed my professorial career once I recognized how powerful that fear was. I think our own fear is what really gets in our way, our own inner judgmental fear of ourselves in the moment that we're about to address our audience. And it's completely paralyzing and can be all consuming. I'm not sure about you, Charles, I've listened to your podcast and you have an amazing 
way of speaking and sharing your ideas in such an accessible, natural way. But I suspect just like me, you have moments too where you feel public speaking fear. Oh, heavens, yes. And I can understand that. And mm. you said this before, and, you know, it's, it's uh, and you mentioned a key point, uh, a fear of judgment, not only mm -hmm. fear of judgment of others, but a fear of judgment from within yourself. Mm -hmm. you know, when you were, uh, we were getting into this positive intelligence thing, uh, process, that's basically, those fears come from those inner voices that are called saboteurs. That's right. That means saboteur is, is, uh, is the judge. But since you're certified, and, and I got to tell you, I'm really pleased to know that uh, I'm just recently certified myself in positive intelligence. Let's, Congratulations, Charlie. Uh, thank you. Let's, let's tell our uh, audience a little bit about what this thing, positive intelligence, is all about. And let's, you know, about these saboteurs. Who are they? What are they? And where do they come from? Sure. So the, the, the textbook definition from Shazad Shamim's beautiful book of the same name, Positive Intelligence, is positive intelligence is the science and practice of developing mastery over your own mind so you can reach your full potential for both happiness and for your success. And that's how I define it too. I would say the saboteur part of it, the saboteur are your inner critics. Mm -hmm. And there are several of them. Should I bring out the book and read them? Let's talk about All right. Yeah. Well, and to determine who your saboteurs are, there's a wonderful assessment that Charlie can probably share in the show notes. But the, there are there's a series of saboteurs which we all possess on some to some degree, but some are more dominant in us than others. Starting with the avoider, the avoider saboteur focuses on the positive and the pleasant in an extreme way and avoids difficult and, and unpleasant tasks and conflicts. The controller saboteur is an anxiety-based need to take charge and control situations, bending people's actions to one's own will, results in high anxiety and impatience when that's not possible. The hyper-achiever saboteur, extremely popular in American business culture, is that saboteur depends on constant performance and achievement for self-respect and self-validation. The hyper-rational saboteur has an intense and exclusive focus on the rational processing of everything, including relationships. The hyper-vigilant, continuous, intense anxiety about all the dangers in life and a strong focus on what could go wrong. The pleaser saboteur, an indirect attempt to gain acceptance and affection by helping, pleasing, rescuing, or flattering others. The restless, this is the one that messed with me on my 49th year and will continue to mess with me a, a year before my each decade I reach. The restless saboteur is constantly in search of greater excitement in the next activity or in constant busyness. Two more to go. The stickler, this is my dominant saboteur. This is the one that gets in my way when I'm building my website, for instance, or launching my podcast and wanting everything to be gorgeous. Otherwise, I won't release it from my grasp. Uh, perfectionism and a need for order and organization taken too far. That is me to a T and my family will agree. And then the victim saboteur, emotional 
and temperamental style to gain attention and affection, an extreme focus on internal feelings, particularly painful ones. Wow, and that's an awful lot to digest. But one of the things that's, that's important to, to point out is you mentioned the judge, first of all. That's the yes, that is the, that is the dominant saboteur, the one we all possess. Now, the other ones, uh, the other ones, we all have the other ones, but in different, different uh, levels of strength. Uh, and, and from what I understand, and you can you can verify this and tell me if I'm right, is you develop these other saboteurs as a way to help you survive as a child. Yeah. The way that you survive, you might become a uh, hyperachiever because you're in a dysfunctional family, so you have to mm-hmm. things like that. Talk a little bit about that, about the mix of these. You mentioned yeah. your your number one uh, saboteur was the stick. Yeah, and, and also you're you're uh, you're you must be pretty high on the pleaser. Um, Actually, that one's not surprisingly not. And 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 if I could isolate what my inner circle, especially my female inner circle, want to, you know, we all have qualities that we admire and want to emulate in one another, right? So out of my my inner circle, all admire my ability not to be a pleaser too much. I'm actually pretty good at managing that side of myself because I understand the need to take care of myself by I am best in service of my family if I take care of myself first putting on the oxygen mask on me first allows me to best serve those I love but my stickler saboteur I'm trying I don't know exactly where that came from to be honest but I just remember I have very early developmental memories my first developmental memory is trying to help my mum straighten up our cottage before her mother and father came to visit and me buzzing around the house as a three-year-old and neatening everything because I loved that order. I loved the joy that came from order. And I remember trying to, our sleeping cat was on the couch and I remember she scratched me because she was spread out in kind of a messy way. And I remember as a three-year-old making her sleep in a perfect round contained ball (laughs) and because that would satisfy my stickler in that moment. Um, Isn't that funny? Um, but the avoider saboteur also messes with me a lot, especially when I'm multitasking, which is pretty much all the time, but especially now as I'm an entrepreneur running Hanging Rock and building Hanging Rock coaching, coaching actually secured paid work that I'm doing still. And I'm a writer for the UC San Diego Business School as well. But anytime I'm multitasking, the avoider comes into play and I find myself avoiding the biggest the task that my judge tells me will take the longest and and mess with my day the most I avoid. But the folly in that is you're letting your judge tell you what is going to take a long time and what will not. And usually the, the task that I'm avoiding the most is usually the one that will relieve the most stress once I get to it. But my judge convinces me it's going to be a big time suck, so I avoid it. And then if I can actually overcome and challenge that avoider saboteur, and at least address what the time requirement is, I realized very quickly it takes like a fifth of the time my judge tricked me into thinking that task would take. Well, you know, when somebody hears about positive intelligence for the first time, they may think it's kind of a fad, but it's really science-based. And it's really the beauty of what I think Shirzad has done is to make, make it understandable to people. The, what's really happening is you're, you have two, two brains, basically, your left brain and your right brain. And your left brain is the analytical side. 
where all these saboteurs live. live. They're the logical, logical side of the world and that sort of stuff. And what you're doing through positive intelligence is blocking or intercepting some of those saboteurs or those thoughts from your left brain and letting the right brain engage. And right. in order to do that, that takes practice. And that if you want to apply the positive intelligence, and you can describe this a little bit, you have to, just like an athlete has to build muscle or to stay in shape, you have to practice intercepting that saboteur and calling on your right side of the brain. And, and what do they call, what do they tell us what they call uh, the right side of the brain when you summon or silence your saboteur? Who do you summon anyway? The sage, that's when your sage comes into play. And the sage perspective is one of the most beautiful sides to positive intelligence that I've found. And especially for when serving communications clients, those who've come into my practice because they're noticing some kind of communication challenges getting in their way. And the sage perspective, well, first of all, you have to self-command. First of all, you have to notice that you're triggered, that your saboteurs have hijacked the okay. left side of your brain. And that comes with time and practice. And what Charlie and I neglected to say is this is all driven, all of the learning for the positive intelligence program is, is generated through an app that you have on your phone and it kicks you daily exercises and reflective conversations. And then you get to do PQ reps throughout the day. These are- There's a PQ rep. Just oh yeah. Well, and that is really, the PQ rep is a powerful 10 second exercise using one sense at a time for quieting your survivor brain. And in doing so, you're activating your PQ brain regions, even amidst challenges. Yep. So we're audio only today, but in this video, I'm just doing, I'm just doing PQ reps now. I'm gently rubbing two fingers together intentionally using tactile PQ reps in this moment. And I'm noticing the ridges in my skin, the temperature, and the sensation of the skin. And as I'm doing these PQ reps, even while I'm responding to Charlie's beautiful interview questions, I feel myself becoming very peaceful, more peaceful than before. My delivery is slowing a little bit. Yep, you're summoning, and you're summoning your wiser self. Yeah, I'm summoning my wiser self and with that, everything sort of slows down a notch. Yeah. It's you're getting out of that survivor part of the brain and into the sage PQ brain regions. And it's really one of the best tools for someone who's nervous, yeah. either writing a high stakes message or delivering it orally. Oh, yeah. So yeah. would it, it serve you for me to go through the seven steps with your listeners, Charlie? In just a moment, before we do that, it was it, one of the things when you're describing these PQ uh, exercises, uh, the training that you have to go through, much like an athlete getting stronger, is that periodically during the day, you will be interrupted at an inconvenient time. And that's it, the whole program is designed to interrupt you periodically and force you to take 10 seconds or 30 seconds or a minute and just do a couple of these PQ reps. It, if you do that, you realize that that's how you intercept those saboteurs. 
Mm-hmm. And that's how you summon those, the sage. I could tell while our listeners cannot see you, I could tell when you were doing these things, you, you're, you all of a sudden look very, very calm. Mm-hmm. And this, this stuff works. It really does. And what I love about seeing how it works with those I coach is it starts to bring in some of the best practices, if you want to call them that, of the great speakers and of our time. And if you analyze, for instance, when I ask, when I used to ask MBA students or when I ask my clients, who are your favorite presenters and why? The ones they choose to share in that moment are always possessed a similar characteristics of excellent public speaking and they include feeling comfortable with silence Mm -hmm. yes using pausing strategically matching your body language to the cadence and to your actual words barack and michelle obama are superb at that and if you analyze their delivery style they both do that beautifully then also varying the sentence patterns, varying the cadence of your sentences and feeling comfortable with humility and vulnerability. And all of this becomes so natural to us when we are in that PQ brain region. Wow. Now, now Debbie, you mentioned, uh, and I interrupted you a little bit, uh, talking about the, uh, the PQ coaching. Uh, now, the, the coaching, when you were trained uh, non, non-positive intelligence, there's sort of a protocol of ways that you do coach. You, you, uh, you coach for fulfillment, things like that, balance in one's life, and, and, and you can get into the process of uh, how one feels at a particular time. But now, when you get into PQ or positive intelligence coaches, coaching, you mentioned that there's a, sort of a seven-step guide guide that's not a template but it's a a guide of principles of how you would go about that Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you would uh, what you would be doing during a seven-step pq coaching experience absolutely so i think the first thing i would do is with the client coming in with a communication or other challenge is ask them to do with me some PQ reps, just like we did. And we demonstrated just for um, tactile PQ reps, but you can do visual PQ reps. You can do audio PQ reps, listening for the sound farthest away from you, then the sound closest to you, paying attention to the sound of your own sweet breathing as an anchor. So PQ reps is first. My next step would be identifying the saboteurs. And I would ask my client, what are all the negative feelings coming up for you about this situation? And let's use an example so the illustration feels more meaningful. So perhaps my client is needing to let their bosses know they can no longer say yes to unnoticed tasks or tasks that are outside of their job description because they're noticing they're getting bogged down with things that they're not meant to be doing and create performing errors in their core responsibilities. And they're not getting paid for this extra stuff anyway. So this is a difficult message for a rising emerging leader to deliver to their bosses, right? Pretty scary stuff. So I would ask them, what are all the negative feelings coming up there? What are all of the negative feelings? And just let them clear without interrupting because there'll be many. And then 
they were these clients would have already gone through the the positive intelligence program and would know about their saboteurs. And by the way, we will talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Hmm. And I would ask them which saboteurs might be causing them mm -hmm. and let them reflect which ones might be getting in my way here. Is it the pleaser saboteur telling me I need to say yes to everything to keep my job? Is it the hyper hypervigilant worrying that they will lose their job if they say no? So unpack there. That's step one. Step two, shift to the sage perspective, which really just asks a delightful question. How could this problem, this crossroads you're at, client, be converted into a gift and opportunity? Now, that's a difficult concept. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Convert some kind of a problem into a... Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I love about it is it, it breaks it down. Shazad does a beautiful job breaking it down into three core gifts that could possibly be there for us. And that helps us um, self-edit a little bit and inspire us a little bit. It could be a gift of knowledge. The situation here is here to teach me something. What could it be here to teach me? It could be a gift of power. It could be a gift of inspiration. But the key is you're not there trying to find or determine the gift. It's not that kind of pressure. It's more PQ brain region. It's more sage. It's like, what, what could be some possible gifts here? Yeah, you're activating that sage. Yeah, like this is just really interesting question. What could be the possible gifts? That's step two. Step three, and, and again, you don't have to go through all these steps within right. a session. It could be a handful and just going into a deep dive or handful, although to certify, Charles and I, I, I don't know about you, I did all seven steps to certify. Oh, I had to cover the whole waterfront. I wanted to see what it looked like and it looked beautiful. So now I'm hooked on it. <laughs> uh, the next power is the empathize power game. And this is one of my favorite where you're asking the client to visualize their childhood self. And if they've done the program, they already would already have done this exercise and completed an activity that requires looking at a childhood photo and then giving yourself some adjectives to, to descriptor words to define your essence in that photo. When I did that activity, I decided I, I am creative, I am bold, I am playful, I am... I think the last one was courageous or something. So you're tapping into those childhood essence qualities and having full empathy and compassion for yourself in this moment. But here's how it works really well for presentation challenges. I encourage my audience, my clients, to not only have empathy for themselves in this moment and to draw upon those childhood qualities that are still with us today, but have empathy for their audience. Yeah. And in doing so, you're creating this really magical shift where the presentation that you're grappling with or this need to tell your bosses, no, I can't keep doing these things. I'm so sorry. Have, focus on them and think of what they need and what they need from you. And maybe they need you to do this so that they see they need to hire someone else. Yeah, you're putting yourself in their shoes. Yes, yes. And that is such a delightful shift for us when we present to high stakes audiences because we stop thinking of the focus being on us and we start being very audience centered. And with that, we probably make a shorter presentation, a more engaging one, and we bottom line more quickly too. So yeah, that's- question, The question yeah. I remember uh, that you asked would be, I feel, and then how you feel, Mm -hmm. because 
how you do it. And you, and you, can, you can ask that question or articulate that question from the perspective of someone else. Yes. And you're putting yourself in there. Yes. So great point. And so for example, in the same example of a client needing to start to say no to unnoticed tasks, if that client thought about their audience, their leadership, and tried to complete that sentence, it might sound something like, I feel I need your help, client, because we're growing exponentially. And this is a fire hose effect. And we're desperate for the help we can get. We don't even have time to stop and pause and hire someone new. Mm -hmm. So it can put a whole different perspective on the situation for the client. And those things are loving and compassionate and they're without judgment. That's right. That's right. Ready for step four? Step four, let's go for it. All right. Explorer. The fourth power is the power game. The, the explorer power and it has this wonderful delightful power game of being a fascinated anthropologist which oh, really appeals to me as a journalist I love, that. I love that yes and so you ask your client this question without blame without judgment what might be all the re- relevant factors coming into play with this problem what is there and I've just realized I've um, lost my sheet again. So what are there? What's it, what are all the factors coming into play with you, others, and the circumstances? And you can see why having that empathy power first is a great segue to this explorer power, because now you've untapped that empathy power. You're then more open to seeing what are all the relevant factors that might be contributing to this problem. And it stops you thinking just about you, and your overwhelm and start to see the bigger picture. And it's an important step because uh, you want to really fully fully understand what's going on before you move on to to the next next step. Right, and this step I think is so vital for any communications problem, whether it's a written message that you're grappling with and that's keeping you up at night or an oral one. Until you become 100% or as close to 100% clear that you can get on what are all the relevant factors going on here you can't really build an effective strategy you need to be curious on what might be going on for this problem to be here in the first place and within yourself too why is this so hard for me get curious about that what's going on why am i so bothered with this why does this feel so hard with blameless discernment ask yourself why does this message feel so hard for me what's going on here yeah, maybe I think, I'm triggered. I think we share the, the fact that that's that's a big part of the coaching thing where you really have to bring out of, of, of a person, you know, what what uh, what the fascinated anthropologist might discover. You really want to understand these things clearly. Yeah. And in that situation, sometimes an outcome in coaching might be, I think I'm really triggered right now, the client might find, or I hadn't realized how much. I weighed my success upon me saying yes to everything, but the strategy can't work. It's I, I can't sustain the strategy. I'm getting burned out here. I'm going to mess up on my core job. The likelihood of me losing my job is higher if I keep saying yes to this other stuff might be a big takeaway for them. Interesting, interesting. So you, you spend time and you you uh, you you are the fascinated anthropologist and you 
figure out the relevant factors in, in considerable depth that are contributing to the problem. Then you move into the next step, which yes. is, it's a fun one. Yes, the fifth power is the innovate power. Yeah. And this is where you've kind of done the back end work to understand what's going on. And you've opened up that PQ brain region to feel really empathetic for yourself and your audience. And now it's time to co-create in, in ICF kind of coaching, we call it co-create your action steps. So it's the beginning of that. So you, there's this wonderful power game called the yes and power game. Wow. And it's really fun. And it's like a, a good uh, analogy for me is volleying, volleyball on the beach. So think of a gentle volleying of a volleyball on a beach and you're just gently tossing up that ball to each other and the other participants volleying it back. So with your between the coach and client, you have this yes and game quickly coming up with as many ideas as you can without judgment to generate ideas on a strategy to move forward. Yep, and you did, and what is the, the business? I can't remember. Um, oh, you always assume whether you believe it or not that whatever your client or the other person comes up with, that 10% of what that person says is right. Yes. So, you know, whether you believe it or not, and then you say, what I love about that idea is, and you explain it, and, and then you throw something else against the wall. Right. And yes, it's that beautiful data Shazad shared. It's like, no, and, and it's, this is really great for those who, those who have a dominant hyper-rational saboteur, this exercise is really hard because the hyper-rational saboteur wants to say, this is a really sucky idea. This is, <laughs> this is never going to work. Like, why have you been talking about this garbage? But this yes and game is beautiful because it becomes infectious and, and, it, and it's lying on the, on the premise that no idea, no one idea is completely garbage. 10% of even the worst idea has some merit. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're focusing in on that 10%. What I love about this idea, your idea is this. And so when you're co-creating action steps with your client and these communication challenges, the innovate power is delightful because I would ask the client, so what are, now that we've unpacked all this, what are some ideas that might serve you in these moments where your instinct is to put your hand up and say yes, but you're really knowing for your survival in this job and for your happiness and your and your, to feel harmonious, you need to stop volunteering yeah. for unnoticed tasks. So we would come up with some ideas and it might be simple things like, well, I could do PQ reps going into the meeting so I'm more calm. And I could light a aromatherapy candle to settle me too. And I could say, what I love about that idea is yeah. you're taking charge and you're calming that survival as part of your mind and getting into your PQ brain regions. And That's then what else? And then I would volley it back to her or him. And we would go back and forth. It sounds like a technique that's useful, not only in, in a coaching session, but if you were in a meeting with peers and you were brainstorming and somebody comes up with something, if you use the, well, what I love about that idea is rather than, oh, John or Sally, that's a stupid thing. And then move on. Right. What you're, what you're, you're, you're being very positive, and you are, you encourage uh, uh, brainstorming. It seems like yes. a wonderful thing to use. Yes, and it becomes very creative. And I don't know about you when you certified, Charlie, but when I certified, that was one of my favorite moments in my 
submission to certify that time and I did this volley and it the the order of these of these steps is quite important too if you're going to do the seven steps because at that point the the sage part of the brain is completely open and it's just so open to possibilities that it's an absolute joy to experience this with a client don't you agree Charlie well, I totally agree and it's also sometimes difficult to end it you're having yes, it is you're having so much fun but when sooner or later when you're doing this you 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 sense as a coach that um a person is getting some some sort of resonance from some of the ideas and then you shift to the next step which is the navigate ah explain that a little bit the navigate power again it's one of my favorites because it requires some contemplation and and it's imaginative so it taps into the creative part of me but this navigate power requires seeking guidance from your own wiser elder self mm -hmm. and there's a gentle meditation you can do together contemplation you can do with the client imagining yourself at the end of your life mm -hmm. healthy of mind and body and take yourself there to that point and then ask your wiser elder self from that ageless wisdom what would he or she say is the most important thing to focus on in this situation? And you can build on that and also ask, what ought I pay attention to? What ought I ignore? How do I ignore my saboteurs? Yes. And what is the best path forward? So you're in, the full, you're in a fully stage um place yes you're, you're in your right brain when you're doing this yes you're right in your right brain and it can be very moving when i did this exercise with shazad on our coaching training calls going through the pq coaching program i visualized myself at the seaside looking out a window at the ocean and it was my home so that was good because that's i've always wanted to retire near the sea but i visualized my oldest son coming to me and just we I only saw the backs of us both and I knew both my husband and my younger son were still alive but for some reason it was just my older son and me at this window and he just tapped me gently on the shoulder and this feeling of love just poured out of me just this love for my family this love of who I am who they are my love for, for life it was a very moving moment for me and whenever I feel stuck on what to focus on or feeling overwhelmed this wise elder self navigate power is so useful to me because the wisdom that my wiser elder self gave me that day in that exercise was slow down mm -hmm. take it a little bit more easy make time in every day for something that brings you bliss and joy mm -hmm. and always Make time to be present with your family. Wow, wow. Well, you can tell you're in the you're in the sage space right now. Yeah. Wise her older self is talking to you. I can oh my gosh. And she was so wise. And I guess the visual of my oldest son there just reinforced that this was the wise, this is the wise self that I must pay attention to. And when I can bring this to my clients, 
it's so beautiful, Charlie, to see what they come up with. It's very, very beautiful to see what they come up with. It's very grounding and it brings them a lot of peace and harmony to not, not sweat the small stuff. What, what was that beautiful book that came out in the 90s? Don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff. Yeah, ben. remember that little box, boxy, boxy book that came out. It reminds me of that. It is all small stuff. These messages are important and they feel vital in the moment. But big picture, when you're zooming out, yeah, that yeah. that perspective is very rich and very helpful. When the client reaches that point, mm. and you come up with something that you see the client is resonating with, what's the final step in the coaching? Well, the final step is your activate sage mm. power. And again, an incredibly moving moment to be in with your client. And you're preempting to, to, it's almost like imagine, you know, put aside dislike for warring metaphors, but there is something beautiful in imagining the sage activate power as a warrior power. You are armed up with this rich perspective and these frameworks and these strategies that you've developed in this session, which will take less than an hour. This is amazing activity that you're doing, life-changing activity. And you're asking your sage activate power, what specific actions up to three are you willing to commit to? Because you're, you're ready to activate now. You're ready to go. What are you willing to commit to? What would your saboteurs tell you to try to sabotage this action? Oh, that's important, isn't it? It's very important because you can come up with all the strategy you like and, and galvanize all the power within that you like. But if you're not preemptively thinking of how your saboteurs might mess with you, then you're more likely to fail. Yeah, this is a, more, a real important point because you know, if you even get involved in the positive intelligence programs, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, these, these saboteurs do not go away. They're with you. They were going to be with you forever. And they're going to lie to you and they're going to talk to you. And they're going to uh, keep those self-doubts flowing. What you're, what you're doing is you're activating your sage. You're, 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 you're learning how to uh, train in your mind. Uh, Shirzad calls it building mental muscle, getting getting mental fitness. You know, just like an athlete gets the physical fitness, your mental fitness to intercept these uh, saboteurs. This is really powerful stuff, Debbie. And and uh, tell me, uh, in your experience of doing uh, the positive intelligence coaching uh, that you've done and done with some of your other coaching, what have been some of your clients' reactions? To those and feedback for this coaching? I think the, the overall feedback to positive intelligence coaching, whether it's through communication challenges or work life balance challenges, really just comes from this overwhelming sense of peace and harmony within. Of course, my clients still have moments just like I do, and just how you do probably too, have moments where you're very stressed and triggered and anxious again. But the ability to rebound more quickly from those emotions is something everybody testifies to. You notice more quickly when your saboteurs have hijacked your brain. And the more you continue to practice positive intelligence daily and become a daily practitioner of positive intelligence, the more quickly you rebound from the setbacks. And I have a small story, if you bear with me, Charlie, Absolutely. to illustrate. 
So I had a client where I was um, a pod leader and I won't give off details for confidentiality, but it was a win and I was a pod leader and I was taking a client as a group through the, a program and everything was going really, really well. But the CEO discovered that she wanted to lead the pod lead the meetings instead of me. And I had just, it was the middle of winter here. Remember that brutal part of winter where it was frozen solid in the Midwest for like three weeks and it was in the 17s, remember that? So I had taken upon myself as my daily exercise, the, the roads were too slippery and dangerous for me to cycle my bike, ride my bike. I had decided to walk up and down the hill in my garden and do PQ reps, visual reps as I did that to really pay attention to the beautiful bird life coming into my garden during this Arctic freeze. So I just come off a, call, um, a long visual PQ rep session and I had the aerobic activity of my brisk walk in my garden when the phone called and I got fired from this job. I still got to keep my pay, but the CEO wanted to take over the meeting so I'd no longer be the leader. And it was so bizarre how I responded in my normal state. I would have had a lot of really negative emotions like shame and self-blame and anxiety on how this would look to me within my organization I was where I was of service but instead uh, I, I stayed very calm on the call and when I hung up the words that came to me were the voice of my sage it could be nothing else and it was just two words oh well <laughs> beautiful beautiful but I know that had I not just come off a long PQ rep session that was half an hour at least I could have been crying or getting really worried. Wow. Well, this stuff works. And, and I've had similar um, uh, feedback from clients who've gone through the positive intelligence uh, coaching protocol that you've described. And the it's like, it's like the other kinds of coaching on steroids mm -hmm. really enhances and bring, it brings color to the whole thing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I think too, what I really sold me on it is just seeing the byproduct of becoming a positive intelligence practitioner for my work actually served me extremely well at home as well. Yeah. And sharing my younger boy has really taken an interest because he's often with me when I'm listening to the guided recordings from the app. And I noticed I was just much able, much better able to manage my negative emotions at work at home. Mm -hmm. So again, recover from those negative emotions more quickly and notice when I was triggered more early. And it, it's just brought um, a beautiful feeling of harmony at home as well. You know, uh, I think many people would want to know, how can I learn more about positive intelligence? And you mentioned briefly uh, earlier that there's a program that you're able to offer, I'm able to offer, and it's consistent with being a partner of the positive intelligence people as part of our coaching. Yes. It's a, it's a six week program. And can you describe just a little bit of it? By the way, I will say that if somebody gets involved in that, the first two or three weeks is what you try to build up in terms of self-command. You've got to trust that this stuff is going to eventually work for you because it's going to be new and different. When you first start doing it, you think, well, this isn't doing anything for me. But you uh, uh, move on uh, later on and, and you stick with it while you find out that it does work. 
but describe this uh, this uh, program a little bit uh, for us. Sure. And I'll keep it short because I know we're coming up on time. So the Positive Intelligence app uh, uh, program is an app-driven program. You hire your positive intelligence coach to go through the, you can do it independently and get results, but I do recommend actually going through the program with a coach like Charlie or me to host your weekly meetings to unpack what's coming up. So through the app, you'll receive daily meditations, daily exercises, access to a PQ gym where you get to do your own exercises independently. Like for instance, I always add an extra 35 PQ reps after my bicycle ride because I'm doing visual PQ reps as I ride my bike and then auditory audio PQ reps listening for sounds far away and then the sound of the, the tire on the ground. So you can add them in independently and clock some PQ reps from doing the challenges. There are videos that also come that come from Coach Shazard and you listen to those as part of the program for an hour a week and with your coach unpack what's coming up. So it's really beneficial uh, to a potential coaching client that they participate with you in this program, at least to understand what positive intelligence is and to understand the powers that it yes. provide to you when you're being coached. Yes. And it's it's really beautifully designed. So there's um, the first three weeks, I don't, and quote me if I'm wrong, I, I apologize, but I think the first three weeks are focusing on the sage powers and then the first, the last three weeks are focusing on the saboteurs. Or did I get that wrong? Maybe I flipped that. But regardless, it's broken down beautifully and it feels very intuitive the way the course is designed, the program is designed. It's very logical. And as you're going through the program, you become more and more convinced that, it's, that, that in fact it does work because it's, yes. it's scientifically based. And now, um, how do we, how do we, uh, how does a, a listener, um, find out more about positive intelligence. One way, there are a couple of assessments that you measured. And if you just go to Google and you just say positive intelligence saboteurs or positive intelligence assessment, you can go to their site and get actually take a little uh, assessments of uh, which are your main saboteurs. It's a lot of fun. Or you can find out your score, your PQ score, which is how much of your mind is taken up by the left brain and the right brain. And that I, and the idea of the positive intelligence program is build up the percentage of time you spend in the right side of your brain. Now, how the, and Debbie, we're running a little bit out of time, out of time. And I wanted to go into another part of your coaching called narrative coaching, but I'm not sure if we have enough time to- oh, Let's save that for another chat. Let's save that for another chat, or they can certainly find that out about narrative coaching uh, on your website. And, and uh, you do have a tremendous amount to offer clients. So how does somebody get in touch with, with Debbie McCullough? Oh, thanks for asking that, Charlie. So best way to reach me is through my website, hangingrockcoaching.com. And I can share that with Charlie to put in the show notes. I've also rolling out this month workshops. So I've launched the um, How to Listen in Ways Where Others Feel Truly Heard. That's my first workshop. Rolling out next week, How to Ask Powerful Questions That Yield Depth Versus Fluff. So I'm launching some workshops this month. And, and over the summer, I'm creating the Brave Communicator 
group coaching and training programs. So I will make sure that's all updated on my website too. You can also look for me on LinkedIn at under DG McCullough, letter D, letter G McCullough, M-C-C-U-L-L-O-U-G-H. Fantastic. And again, that website is hangingrockcoaching.com. One big long word, hangingrockcoaching.com. Well, Debbie, thank you so very, very much about for being our guest today on, on It's All About Skills. Uh, you are always fun, and I just love our conversations. And uh, we will have you on here again down the road a little bit uh, to find out uh, more about positive intelligence and some of this narrative coaching that you're talking about. Well, thank you so much, Charlie. It's just been a real pleasure being on here with you, and I hope to meet you in person in Chicago over the summer. Oh, you will, you will. And that, no, as for me in Chicago, I'm an internationally certified coach, certified in positive intelligence too, but I specialize in career management, skill development, career crises, and positive intelligence. And you can get in touch with me through my website, which is charliejetcoaching.com. That's Charlie, that's spelled C-H-A-R-L-I-E, Jet with two T's, J-E-T-T, charliejetcoaching.com. So thank all of you for listening today, and we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.